Chapter 33 Isola They rode through the woods in silence. The horn sounded again, but further off this time, they moved quietly. The wood smelt of mushrooms and loam and the underside of tree bark. Their horses and shod hooves were noiseless on the mossy path, and there was very little wind. No shadows moved through the trees around them, and Leah, listening carefully, could no longer hear the hum of insects or the singing of the birds. Silence settled around them like darkness. Somewhere far above them, the sun was shining, breaking through the canopy and shafts, but a sense of foreboding hung over her. It seemed to Leah that the forest was holding its breath. The black mare moved with a floating pace, neither pulling on the reins nor requiring encouragement, and obviously accustomed to being ridden with much less interference than a horse in the human world. She was a soft black, like dark chocolate, and her spirit was gentle in a way that reminded Leah of the moment when evening melted into night. Leah rode her with a light seat and quiet hands, losing herself in the resonance between horse and human. As soon as she looked up, she felt uneasy again. The hunting horn sounded again, far in the distance. It sent a shiver down her spine. Foylon rode ahead of them. His horse was the strongest of the three, a bay stallion with a rangy stride and a tendency to perceive ghosts in the undergrowth. It was not the she-way to rise at the trot, and Foylon sat deep in the saddle, his left hand on the reins and his right hanging by his side. Leah saw how his spine absorbed the movement of the horse and began to realise the depth of difference between their species. For a moment, she felt unsettled by his otherness. Voilon is not human, she told herself. He is something else. Suddenly, she was afraid of him. The woods thickened around them and the path became narrower. There was danger behind them, that was for certain, but she also felt that they were riding into trouble. The deeper they rode into the forest, the more the feeling grew. Ronan caught up with her, bumping along on his pony. He looked like a younger and more beautiful version of Lewis Carroll's White Knight, but his expression was serious. There is something ahead of us. Not good. I know, Leah said. I can feel it too. She indicated Foylon, now far ahead. Can we trust him? Yes, said Ronan. I trust him absolutely, but I am frightened for him. This was the kind of intuition that Leah had learned not to ignore. Eventually, Foylon slowed to a walk and allowed Leah and Ronan to catch up. Leah could not read she body language and Ronan could not read any body language at all, but it was clear to both of them that something was seriously wrong. Death is waiting. Foylon said in a low voice. Ronan looked irritable. Can't you be more specific? I think that there will be an ambush. Leah's first instinct was to turn and run, although she did not know from what. 
Can't we go back? We're not so far from the gateway. Waylon shook his head. This cannot be avoided. He pulled his horse alongside Hobie and leant over to kiss Ronan on the mouth. Ronan Lawless, remember that you were loved by one of the she. Then he threw back his head and laughed. I will fight for you. Let's go. He leant forward and whispered something in she. His horse sprang forward from a standstill and vanished around a bend in the forest track, scattering mud and grit. He's gone mental, said Ronan, looking anxiously after him. He's going to get himself killed. This seemed all too likely. Sensing a chase, Hobie accelerated, almost unseating his rider. Ronan grabbed at his mane and leant low over Hobie's neck, wary of overhanging branches as he hurtled down the path. The black mare followed at a canter, but stayed behind. The path was too narrow to overtake. A few miles from Caramoil, there was a place in the woods where four paths met. It had some significance to the she, and the Togon clan recognised it as a marker for their hunting grounds. But it had also meant something to the humans who lived in Eldahach long ago. An old well, now reduced to a pile of stones, lay at the foot of a giant oak and oozed clear water into a pool between the trees. Isla was waiting at the crossroads, a slender figure in the shadow of the trees. Her horse grazed the forest floor on the far side of the old well. She stepped out into the sunlight and bowed to Foylon in the formal way. I have waited for you, Foylon of the Dubberhu. Foylon rode right up to her and looked down from his horse. His golden eyes were topaz pale, but his back was straight and his hands were steady. Will you let us pass, Isola of the Togonshi? Waylon's horse cavorted and stamped and tossed his head, but Isola did not step back. She was unclothed and carried a blackthorn stick, about a third her own height and thicker at the root. I will not let you pass. It is not in my nature or my training, said Foylon, but I will meet you if you think it is a fair fight. It is a fair fight, Isola said. I will meet you. Foylon dismounted and fastening his own fighting stick from behind the saddle. Then he removed his garment and gave the horse a gentle slap on the quarters. The horse wandered off into the forest to graze. The two she faced each other in the clearing. Isola bowed deeply. Foylon, Egna of the Dubarku, my life will be longer than your life. Foylon bowed back. Isola, Egna of the Togon she, and mother of the Behir Naman, my life will be longer than your life. At this point, Ronan and Leah crested the hill that looked down to the crossroads. Leah reined in her mare. Hobie veered into the bushes in search of something to eat, and Ronan dismounted quickly. At the crossroads beneath them, the two she had begun to circle each other. They moved slowly. Foylon raised his staff, 
holding it in defence mode with two hands set apart. Isola did the same. She was smaller than he was, slightly built but agile and fast. Her pale fawn pelt looked grey in the shadow of the trees. Her expression was fierce and absolute. Who is she? Leah whispered. Her name is Isola. The Toganchi assigned her to take care of me, but she was also my lover. We were together for two years. Is she in love with you too? asked Leah, incredulous. She can't stand me. I don't think she likes humans. But Foylon insulted her when he kidnapped me, and her daughter is hostage to Ethan Blake. Will they really fight? Yes, said Ronan, serious. They will fight, and one of them will die. Ah, for fuck's sake. Leah sat down on a mossy tree root. Can you not go down and tell them to stop? But Ronan knew that the situation had gone beyond the point of no return. Single combat was embedded in she culture. It related to honour in a way that was difficult for humans to comprehend and was governed by an intricate mesh of protocols. He sat on the ground beside his sister, placed his hand on the small of her back and held it there. As a child, she had found that comforting. Below them, the adversaries circled each other, their steps as formal and studied as the steps of a dance. Physically, they were mismatched. Poilon was taller and strongly built, muscles taut under his dark pelt. Isola was agile and quick. She was lighter on her feet. He had a longer stride. Their gaze locked. Their fighting sticks were raised, but they stayed several strides apart, unhurried and deliberate, united by something intimate and profound. Watching from the hill, Ronan understood with some nonverbal sense that each was holding the death of the other in their mind. If they were humans, Ronan thought, this would be about strength and skill, but it isn't, and it isn't a survival thing, because they are both prepared to die. It's about which of them cares the most about the thing that they are fighting for. Foylon is fighting for me, but also for his own life. Isola is fighting for her daughter, but also for the honour of her clan. With no indication of what had precipitated the change of pace, the she began to move more quickly, still circling, still in silence, and still without making contact. The fight was escalating. Is Huelon going to win? Leah's face was very pale. I don't know. He is a scholar, not a killer. Leah wrapped her arms around her knees and buried her face in her arms. Ronan had never been able to lie, no matter how much it was needed. Sensing that his sister needed comfort, he increased the pressure of his hand on her back. Voilon struck the first blow. Wielding his staff by the tapering end so that the root formed a club, he whirled it around his head and brought it down, swift and heavy. If Isola had not moved, it would have broken her collarbone, 
but she stepped aside, blocked the blow with her own stick, and took a vicious swipe at Foylon's head. He ducked and stepped into the attack, aiming at her knee and staying too close for her to swing. Isola gasped in pain as the knotted root of the blackthorn caught her shin, but leapt back, lithe as a cat, and swung an underarm blow that narrowly missed his jaw. The strength of the swing unbalanced her for an instant, long enough for Foylon to get in a side swipe that smashed into her ribs. Isola gasped as the wind was knocked out of her. They broke apart and began to circle again, but this time all the formality was gone. They were almost silent, apart from the occasional grunt, but the forest resounded with a clash of wood on wood. Ronan had once, as a teenager, gone to the Phoenix Park to watch the stags in rut. The blackthorns sounded like their hollow skulls clashing, bone on bone, horns locked in combat. For all the palaver that preceded it, this was nothing short of a brawl. But, despite himself, he was impressed by how effectively Foylon fought, the conviction with which he wielded his weapon, his fierce and focused brutality. He is stronger, Ronan told himself. She is tiring herself against him. But then Isola sprang, launching herself into the air like a fighter on wires, kicked her feet off Buelon's shoulders and landed on the other side of him. The blow that she aimed in passing missed his head by a hair's breadth. He spun to face her, wielding his staff, but Isola crouched in the dry leaves, poised to spring again, and did so as he turned, landing a heavy blow on the back of his head. The root end of his blackthorn hit her elbow with an unmistakable sound of breaking bone. Isola screamed as she landed, but rolled immediately into a crouch, watching. Foylon staggered, his staff falling to the ground beside him, and lay still, limbs twitching. Isola waited, poised for action, her broken arm dangling by her side. Somewhere deep in the forest, a blackbird began to sing. Foylon stirred and raised himself on one elbow, his eyes unfocused and blank. Isola did not move. Groaning, he rolled under hands and knees, groping for his fallen stick. Then, for the third time, Isola leapt. She landed on his chest, knocking him back to the ground. Their eyes met for an instant, and hers were without colour, cold as quartz. She snarled, teeth bared, and pushed back his chin to reach the soft flesh of his throat. Foylon's eyes came back into focus. He bounded to his feet, scattering leaves and loam, and flipped her light body aside. Isola yelped as she landed on her injured arm. Then Foylon roared. It sounded to Ronan like the belling of a stag, a huge sound that reverberated the forest, shaking the trees to their roots. Foylon seemed much larger now and very much more powerful. He towered over Isola. She stood, her gaze locked on his. Neither of them was armed. Something like understanding passed between them. And then... With a movement so swift that Ronan could not actually see it, Foylon broke her neck. 
the forest fell silent around them. Shadow white, shaded white, drop cloth, savage ground. When, eventually, Lee looked up, the forest was quiet apart from the sound of horses munching grass. Her brother sat beside her, staring blankly into a hazel thicket with silently moving lips. All white, Weavert, Wimborne white, pointing, James white, clench, white tie, new white, house white, matchstick, string. Below them, Fuelon stood over his fallen adversary, shoulders bowed. Isla lay at his feet, her head twisted at an unnatural angle. Leah climbed stiffly to her feet and went down the hill to join them. Fuelon wept, his shoulders shaking. His face and chest were wet with tears. Leah stood back, not knowing what to do, but he heard her coming and reached out his hand. He drew her towards him and sank down on the ground, pulling her with him so that she sat on his knee like a child as he held her, weeping. He smelt visceral and rank. Leah pressed her face into his damp, malodorous pelt and caressed his hands. They were webbed, a fine hairless membrane between the digits. After some time, Foylon wiped his face and took a deep breath. He rose to his feet, offered Leah his hand and bowed. Thank you. They glanced up the hill to where Ronan sat, staring fixedly into the undergrowth. Salon Drab, Dimity, Joa's White, Archive, Oxford Stone, Smoked Trout, London Stone. He watched you fight, Leah said. I couldn't. Are you injured? Whelan rubbed the back of his head. It hurts, but there is no serious damage. Leah turned to where Isola lay at the foot of the tree and knelt beside her. Even in death, she thought that she had never seen a more beautiful being. Isola's eyes were open, soft amber now, and her limbs were splayed. Very tenderly, Leah crossed her arms across her chest and straightened her legs. Her body was still warm. Then she made a pillow of dried leaves, and taking Isola's head in her hands, gently untwisted her neck. Isola's garment lay beneath the trees. Leah shook the debris from it and laid it over her like a coverlet with the fighting stick beside her. Foylon watched in silence. Then he caught Isola's chestnut horse, removed the saddle and bridle and placed them at the foot of the oak tree. The mare whinnied, shook her head and trotted purposefully into the woods. The mare will bring the Togon she, Foylon said. We must ride fast. None of the horses had gone far. Foylon put on his garment, tied his fighting stick into place and swung himself into the saddle. Leah mounted the black mare. Above them, Ronan sat, still staring into the bushes. Ronan, we have to go. Ronan rose to his feet 
and strode briskly down the hill, looking neither at Isola's body nor catching Foylon's eye. Hobie, uncharacteristically, was waiting under the trees. Ronan mounted, still not looking at Foylon. Which way do we go? he asked coldly. Foylon pointed out the path. We go west. Hobie, eager to be on the move, cantered off down the path. Leah and Foylon looked at each other. It's not that he doesn't care, Leah said. It's the opposite. When everything shuts down like that, it's because he cares too much. Foylon leant down from his horse, put his arm around her and kissed the top of her head. I know, he said, but he is right. We should go. (laughs) 